This is Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Eric Seepin, and I am pastor of the Village Church in Tucson. And across from me is Andy Littleton, pastor, one of the pastors of Mission mm-hmm. Church. I don't want to say the pastor. Right. No, um, one of the pastors, as I am one of the pastors at the Village. And Mission Church is in Tucson also. And uh, we'll just do this podcast. Yeah. We and- like talking to each other. That's right. We uh, the the stated topic was um, my sermon matters, and that that comes up. But we we ended up talking about games in the life of our church for a while at the beginning, which I, I, I think it was, was it was pretty fun. I thought it was good. So enjoy, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah. feel about talking about our sermons. Talking about faith over breakfast is laborious. <laughs> That's why you keep avoiding it. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, hey Eric. Hey. Thanks for making the coffee. It's uh Eric was trying to figure out why I was delaying the podcast by approximately thirty minutes and it's because I thought coffee was being made. <laughs> It was being prepared but never made. Yeah, it was the cup was sitting on the machine, and that's that's where it... But hey, here it is. Thank you. You're welcome. Coffee. I like it. Yeah, it's good coffee. It's one of my favorite things. Yes, it's what holds the Trinity together. That's my heresy. I believe coffee is what keeps oh. God one. Oh, <laughs> it inspires his activity in the world. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's, wow. It's the mystery that... Holds Father, mm. Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah! Wow, in their Trinity. Wow, of oneness. Anyway, it's it's good to see you, Andy. Yeah, you the sent- Father is the tree. <laughs> the Spirit is the bean. I don't, no, know, I don't I think know. the Spirit's the roaster. Jesus is oh. the bean. Oh, <laughs> we better stop now. Yeah. <laughs> It's good to see you. You sent me a weird text that I didn't understand, but apparently just said tomorrow with a question mark. Yeah. 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 It also looked like tough man, rough, and... Yeah. I spelled tomorrow wrong on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty creative. You you were very creative with it. I know. I try. I try. Yeah. You know, trying to fit in with the village, creative people... You, I don't uh, think that's fair. I think you, you guys, post you post pictures of action figures on your website. I I spell things wrong. Uh, that's my private. Uh, oh, sorry. Did Instagram. I mention something private? I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoops. This is not public. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, for a while, for some reason, we had to unlink my Instagram account from the village account because I kept posting these pictures of zombies that I paint, and they were showing up on our Facebook website. The zombie painting <laughs> pastor. That's this is my. These are my favorite things about you. Like, yeah, gotta have a hobby, man. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. So so when do you paint the zombies? I paint on Mondays. You it's paint my day off. Zombie painting Monday. Today, yesterday, I painted a, a woman who's like a kills zombies. Her name's Megan. Megan. <laughs> yes, it's from a game I play. Oh, I was going to say, how did you come up with that name for the yeah. zombie killing woman? No, you were just like Patrice. Patrice. Megan. Megan. Deborah. Deborah. Well, that's biblical. Yeah, biblical, yeah. yeah. Um, what's another? Uh, well, I have this. I I designed a game and yeah. published it and printed it, and the whole like idea of the game is that you are some kind of warrior or apostle or sage. Anyway, uh-huh. you're in this forest and you're just you're exploring the forest, and every tile that you flip over, there are these different kinds of encounters. It's you encounter monsters and you fight them and gain weapons. But a lot of the times, the monsters are holding someone captive. Uh-huh. So you have to free them. And so I thought I would just name all the people that had to be freed villagers. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty funny when you're playing the game. You're like, oh, I got Karen. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of the names we have are real simple. They're not yeah. like, you know, Starshine or Starlight. Yeah. They're like 
Karen. Karen. Bob. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. I'm saving Bob. All right. <laughs> That's cool. Where do people find this game, by the way? You can find the game on GameCrafters.com, or you can go to Alistair Games on Facebook, and you can go from there. There's a link to the Okay. To uh, how much? How much is it? Well, I, we have two games that Alistair Games, my side company, game company, has developed. One is oh. called Spies versus, or Tourists versus Spies. Uh huh. And that game is a game design is a card game, and you are trying to sneak spies into people's uh, countries. Okay. And you and you're trying to uh, get your tourists, uh, get people's tourists into your country okay so it's it's a fun little card game is this like a formal company that yeah you it's have? a formal company no way uh it's it's a it's because it's it's a hobby company so i mean i'm not running it like a business because okay. I, i'm not selling enough but game crafter says that and then there's a game called evangelon uh-huh which is the greek word for gospel uh-huh and it, that's the game i was talking about yeah and so it, it's a game designed to work together and you end up flipping some tiles that have wisdom cards and so you draw them and they're actually verses yeah that force you to apply the principle from that verse in the game man so it's kind of fun it was designed for junior hires to play and, and so adults middle schoolers would probably have a difficult time doing it oh they love it yeah. adults love it too it's fun it's, nice. it's a fun game uh, so wait how much is it well that game that one costs 49 dollars it's it pretty it has a lot of components to it the card game, I think, costs like fourteen. And these, and they come with like um, wooden cards, tile. cards, tiles, wooden figures. Figures, yeah. Wow. Yep. Do is it um, to be a member of the village? Is it a prerequisite to own this game? <laughs> no. Is it um, is it an people, unspoken prerequisite? Many people own spies versus tourists versus spies because it's it's a fast playing game and actually one of the few games that I've designed when I did this one with Mark that I think if I was not a pastor, I would attempt to market it and, and get it into the board game world because it's, it's decent. Yeah. And, and my other one is a little too insider. You know, it's, it's really just designed for the church. It's not designed for actual sale. Okay. I'd have to make some changes. Yeah. I would say, I don't think you can buy Evangelon right now because the company notified me that they changed their packaging and I have to redesign my box and I haven't had time to do that. So, Oh, well, I was I was thinking about buying it, man. Yeah. I'd be happy to give you a copy of the game. I have them. Oh, yeah? Copies, yeah. Ooh. I could donate one to Mission in exchange, maybe, for oh. borrowing your guys' vintage baseball clip. All right. Deal. Okay. <laughs> Sold. Game for a game. Game for a game. Anyway. Okay. okay. So, uh, it's, yeah, that's my game life nice okay i like that but i've been been playing board games since i was eight like complicated board games yeah this is an interesting thing that we weren't planning to talk about but that is has come up so i have this whole i have this like there's a sports in a way our church is the least into sports of many churches i know yet i you know there is a lot of sports being played yeah and then and you you all have multiple games now it sounds like that have come out of your community what why is that and, and we're why to- why is this important i made the classes uh, of yeah you know arizona classes play baseball cuz i think something happens when you play a game together yes. what if you were to recommend to christians and other ministers the development and playing of card games and i and i can talk to like playing sports you're trying to get away from our topic. Absolutely. Which I no, just want no, to no, put no, out no, there no. to the public. Why our sermons matter. He did not want to talk about this. We'll get to it. Okay, we're we're going to do it. All we're right. going to do it. But but this is interesting to me. I think this is there's this little subtext in our communities sure. of game playing. Well, here here's a fascinating thing. Our, our church is not about that at all, right? About playing sports. Right. And yet, I would venture to say that at the village... At a two-to-one ratio, we have more college athletes and semi-pro athletes in their past life than your church does. I'm sure. Which is weird to me. I mean, we're talking about, like, semi-pro football players. Yeah. High-level track runners. Uh Uh-huh. Swimmers. 
varsity yep. basketball stars. We we've had we've had a we had a little burst when U of A track folks found us through a couple folks, okay. but we have people with a background in track and swim um, at, at a decently high level, I guess. College. Um, college is always high level, no matter where you right, go. It, right. it doesn't but matter. There was a little bit of that, but yeah, generally, generally we don't. Yeah, I just think it's humorous. Our but people yes. who who like to play sports are not didn't get very far with them in life. Right. Yeah. Anyway, it's a. Uh, I think. I mean, I like board games, and so I mean, in some ways, I think you tend to attract people who are like you. Yeah, and you. And that's exactly the vintage baseball is my thing that I decided to try to share with others, but it's totally my thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I think people do really enjoy getting out and doing things together. Yeah. Um, I think what happens is it is, we are already so built into an avoidance culture that my resistance to some of that is just that I'm like, oh gosh, it's just another thing to avoid actually living and talking <laughs> about what matters in life. But I think it's important. It's super important to connect people and to bond people together and to. Yeah. And I think I see it a little differently. I see it as people aren't talking about the meaningful things in life because they're not even friends and they don't even right. kind of. And some sometimes. What I love about the vintage baseball games is because they aren't that serious. Mm-hmm. They're they're fun enough to keep you engaged and to bring you out to the park and right. you know. But at the same time, you're chit chatting. If you forget to go out for an inning, nobody cares. Um, and so there really is, I think, the building blocks of these deeper relationships are happening oh, I don't, in I don't, those spaces. I don't disagree. I, I think, though, I mean, so many churches have these well-developed, it's funny to me, they yeah. have well-developed baseball, softball teams. Oh, totally. But not well-developed communal 100%. discipleship. No, <laughs> no, and I've experienced that. That's what, weird. A, a church, a church that, I, that I was a part of for years, they would, they would practice. They were very serious. There was a tournament, a denominational tournament. We won it one year, and it was this huge deal, and we put in all this work and had all this gear. And, yeah, but we didn't have you're right we didn't have developed out discipleship which is strange now were there there were some good things that happened among folks um but but yeah the the seriousness with which the sport itself was taken went beyond our dedication to discipleship which seemed odd to me as well and and even at the time not to say that that isn't part of discipleship Playing together is actually part of discipleship. Yeah. Learning to do things together, and any activity brings up parts of who you are. Yes. And it sh- yeah. Yeah. So I'm not saying, but it's just, I don't know. I. I it is interesting. It, it, is, it is interesting. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So I, I, you do sports. I like board games. I like playing them a lot. Well, what do you think? How do you think that's shaped? the village, your, your community, the fact that you all play games together and have developed some games together. Well, I I think that it builds friendships for the people who like to play board games and a connectedness and and something we have in common to do. Yeah. I think that, I think that's helpful. I just realized I need to say we have a large contingency of people that love to play board games together. Oh, I bet you do. we do. I bet you do. Um, it's actually, you know, when I played, it wasn't popular. It was a super subculture. Yeah. And then games like Settlers of Catan came yeah. into the world and began to create a bigger group of people who played more complicated board games. And so we call those, you know, the those are the, the gateway games. Catan is a gateway yes. game. And and which is why that's the one I play. Or, right. You know, because I'm just kind of a gateway kind of guy. Well, and then boom, it's just exploded. Yeah into a, in, a, in a way where I could never like make money doing it. Or yeah. Maybe if I'd started a company in the nineties, I might've been able to make some money. Right. It's just saturated. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get into target and have target. Right. Sell your item to really make money. There's like a monopoly on it. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a, got to say, there. sorry guys, you're not going to get into this game. I mean, the reality Some people is, are like Yahtzee, my game worked. 
when you go, used to go, like in the 80s, when you go to somebody's house and say, hey, let's play a board game. Well, what are you going to play? Risk? Uh, yeah. Monopoly, Yahtzee, got your standards. Uh, Boggle. Everybody has everybody has those games. Right. Life. Now, I mean, I have 150 games. Wow. Many of my friends have yeah. 80, 90 games. I have like five. You know, so like it's become a different, yeah, different world. Wow. And there are all these. I mean, this gosh, there's all vocabulary that never existed before. Right. Like it's a worker placement game. It's a dice trucker game. It's a you know. Work replacement game. <laughs> yeah, it's all these weird things. It's kind of strange. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. So and, then, and then you know, intro online gaming that whole that's, side of the coin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you this vintage? I had never heard of vintage baseball, and I was curious: is vintage baseball, um, like actually vintage? Was there something outside of backyard playing that this kind of develops from? Yeah, there. So there are going to be people who take it far more seriously than others, as with gaming, right? Sure, and sure. and so there are whole websites for gear and rules and all this stuff. But the and the rules of baseball morphed and changed through the early years many times. Sure. And so people kind of pick a era that they want to they want to really capture. I've been super loose with it. It's kind of there's just some of the some of the rules from the like 1860s 1890s make gameplay way more fun and accessible i okay. think and so i've just kind of cherry picked it right like so ringing rules. the bell once you hit the base the Ring, home base. ringing the bell when you get home there's no strikeouts the goal of the hurler or the pitcher is to get you to hit the ball instead of right the opposite which changed you know if the first baseman wears a mitt the, yeah, the the first baseman is gets a mitt because the ball gets thrown hard at him, but everybody else um, doesn't. But if you catch the ball on a bounce, it's, it's an out. out. Uh, but if you catch it on a bounce, the runners can run. If you catch it on the fly, the runners have to hold. Okay. There's kind of some unique little rules. You can't run through first base like you can in modern baseball. You have to stop. If you run through, you can be tagged out. Um, a pop fly caught by anybody, the your own teammate or a spectator, you're out. Um, which is one that's one of my favorites is that the spectators had a role in the game. Okay, um, that is pretty. Funny. That they could could get you out. Um, if you uh, if you curse, you have to pay twenty five cents uh, oh. to the arbiter or the umpire. Nice. Um, there's yeah, there's just so in some of the games that we've played, when I've brought a roll of quarters. You know, and and so you get because people don't tend to have a bunch of quarters on them. So if somebody cursed, you know, we gave them a quarter and they had to give it to the arbiter. Nice, <laughs> and that's how the arbiter walks away with a buck fifty or something. Nice, and, and get uh, himself a soda or something. Yeah. Right. So so, but because of all those kind of goofy to us today rules, it makes the game very a the really great the guys who can hit the ball a million miles don't know all the rules. And so they hit one way out there and it bounces and it's caught and they're running the bases and actually know that you're out. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then the, the person who doesn't really know how to play that well, isn't getting struck out. And so they can, you know, kind of hang in there and have a little more fun with it. And there's a lot more room to kind of be for some like mild trickery and sure. stuff, you know, for the fans to be involved if they want and to kind of, heckle a little bit try to catch the ball if they want yeah nice yeah so that's i, I picked up on it because i really enjoy baseball but i didn't like the highly competitive end of it yeah and this this version of it combines yeah the, the things i i enjoy and gets rid of the the pressure so good communal activity yeah yeah definitely that's how I feel. I basketball. I haven't really tried to like do vintage rules or anything, but I like to play basketball in an environment that where there's enough competition to make to keep you moving, but not so much that you're, you know, fouling hard and getting angry at each other. Right. right. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that's one thing that our church used to do quite a bit of. I mean, I think I played for a couple of years. Played basketball every yeah. week. Yeah. We used to play over on the church on uh, 
Craycroft and Fifth. That's oh. I think it's a Methodist church. I live right across the street. I, yeah, play, couple, I go over there sometimes. A couple hoops there. That yeah. We, there is always a Thursday game I think we would go play in. Yep. Yep. Guy got shot over there last year, and, and uh, my daughter got nervous about going over there since, which it was kind of this. Makes sense. Crazy thing, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. But no, that's, that's a great, that's, that's a great way that that church has facilitated community in the neighborhood. Yes. They put up really great high quality hoops, lights, and made a space. And, and yeah. maintained them. And that, maintained it. That's yeah. That's really the key part. Yeah. It's taken care of. Yep. 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 All right, Eric, why do our sermons matter? Well, I, <laughs> well, I first wanted to, th- were you serious when you said, texted me back and said they don't? <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly it? no, <laughs> but, but I, we've talked about this before. Um, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. I, I remember snippets of sermons from my life of hearing yes. thousands of them. I, re- I remember a few snippets, but I also think that the general sitting under of preaching has shaped me and is very important, though I don't remember a lot of the details. I still think I don't remember a lot of the exact things my parents said, but being in the environment of their teaching for my whole life has definitely shaped me. So um, I think sometimes pastors, uh, we, we went through this with our TGC group with the guys talking about how many, you know, some 30 plus hours working on sermons to get them just technically right. Like people don't, I mean, I, in one sense, I commend that, but in another sense, it's like you're putting in 30 hours into something. It's going to go right over most people's heads. They're not going to get it. And not that they're not smart. It's just they, they're in another headspace. You're in sermon mode all week and then you preach it and it's the biggest thing to you. And these people have been in all the other modes and maybe had an argument on the way to church and are just hoping that their dinner with the in-laws isn't terrible when they get out and they don't, they don't digest most of what you just said. And that's a hard thing because yeah, it's, it's like for the pastor, it's like all their work, but I also don't think it's unimportant. Right. I don't know. I I have a, there's a tension there for me. So I, I do think they matter, but, but I think each individual sermon and its perfection matters probably less than we Right. Think. So. How about you? Well, I asked the question <laughs> or, or made the statement, our sermons matter, uh, because I, I've been thinking about, well, what is what does it look like to have a culture as a church, as a community that actually lives in the sermons that its teachers teach, right? Because mm-hmm. we've been talking about Ephesians chapter four for the last two weeks and Ephesians chapter four you know, opens up with the virtues of the church, you know, humility, gentleness, patience, long suffering, mm-hmm. unity in the spirit yep. uh, through Christ. Then it goes into here are the five offices, right? Gifts slash offices of yeah. the church. And each one of those are designed to equip. Mm-hmm. So teaching and preaching takes up two of the offices and each of those pastoring and pastoring comes from the pulpit and in other contexts and teaching can come from that space and others but it mm-hmm. seems in from the beginning to be in a place where there is a level of proclamation happening mm-hmm. to a group of people so how do how do you how do you as a listener make what is being said like how do you digest that how do you have it enter into your life in a way that is changing you so you're you're kind of suggesting and saying that that there's the responsibility of the speaker but there's the responsibility of the hearer to treat this as a shaping event and pay attention yes okay yeah i think that that there's an element of heart and an element of mind put together with the spirit of god uh-huh. So how do you how do you create that kind of culture as a speaker? And I think the first thing I was thinking when I put sent you that text was, well, my sermon matters. Like actually believing that mm-hmm. what I have to say matters so much so that I could tell you it matters. Like you need to listen to this. Yeah, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying, um, because it's something that God has given you yeah. through me, which. 
sounds sounds arrogant right arrogant yes but it's not I'm not saying that I've come up with something great that you should listen to. I'm saying that what I'm talking about is I would put it in a position where I'm here to offer you what the Holy Spirit is calling you to. Mm. Um, and that, and so in some ways, it, I, I need to be at some level work on how I'm going to communicate that so it's mm-hmm. clear to you. Mm-hmm. And you need to work on how you're going to apply and carefully listen. And so, I, I've been saying that the general i think i i think culturally there was a day when what pastors said people people felt more like that i need to listen whether whether they felt like that on a given day or not but the general consensus was if this person says something they've been they've been studying the word they seek the lord's guidance i need to listen to what they say Today it feels increasingly as if listening to a pastor because you can go shop all the pastors in the you may. in the world, and you kind of go, "That's an interesting perspective." Yes, and, and it and I think that there's and it's weird to say that as a as a pastor in a way, but it, I think that in a sense we need to to be able to look at pastors and go, "These are humans who could just share their own point of view and be wrong," but then in a real sense we have to realize if God has ordained this this office and works through his word and his spirit in the church that there is that there is more going on here that we should invest in and and care for and so so yeah. here's what I, I put forward excuse me I spit on you oh my gosh in COVID world oh I'm back in it's over yikes ten, flying because I'm not wearing a mask I'm sorry actually I, I didn't feel you. there's a big microphone in front of your yeah. face I think it caught it we'll go with that I have a microphone mask. So here, here's my proposal in my sermon, and I think it, I think it's accurate, and that in those five offices, of which they are also gifts given by the Spirit, right. but they their offices within the community of God, that they are the five uh, like headings for all the other gifts. That oh. the other gifts fall under those. So you you know they they connect to those. Okay. But not only that. Because you and I are called to be servants of God, all of us have these offices or these gifts, or are at least called to practice them in some measure. Right? In some yeah. measure, so we we each have it because we're being equipped in them, mm. right? So right, yeah. If you're being equipped by someone with this gift, you're the investments being made in you. You have some of it, right? Okay, I see. So so my, my thought is so in, I once heard N.T. Wright say he was talking about this other missionary who was talking about the, his experience in the Middle East and the way that he he didn't understand that this is how it works so he was invited to speak in a, in a church and he gets up there and talks and then like a third of the way through his sermon he's just interrupted and forced to pause and everybody breaks into groups and they start practicing his first third of his sermon oh. so that, and they are and not practicing it. Like, well, how would I say it in my way? No, they were practicing to say it exactly the way he said it and repeating it to each other until they all had it down. And then they wanted him to continue. Wow. Interesting. And this is apparently happens at some level in the middle East in that sense of the oral culture is that I am going to pass on exactly what you said to another person who didn't get to hear it. Which which is the upside to the oral culture. I mean, I think that in our world, I mean, and this is this is a byproduct of viewing ourselves as all very educated and able to find our own information and read right. it all and digest it all ourselves, is there's this idea of I always have to find my way to say it. Yes. I need my view, my way to say it. And in cultures where people, they're like, well, I can't just read and find this all for myself. They're like, Teach me to say what you're saying. I believe it. Teach me to say what you're saying, right? Right. And mm. I think there's this sense of being able to communicate what you said to somebody else. I think that's pretty huh. cool. Because changes the way you teach when you assume that's happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it also, like, allows people, they don't have to say, well, hey, like, Andy said this. It's just, I'm going to say exactly to you what Andy said. And here, and, and I'm going to tell. So, like, when Andy... Like Andy looked at this passage here and he said this and he said this and he was thinking 
that we he was inviting us to do this and i think we need to think about that like i can really articulate with a, a good sense of uh confidence what that particular text is saying at yeah. least from the person that i'm submitting myself to and there's probably this this assumption in there which i think is so foreign to us and probably we need to press into a little bit and that is not just oh eric said this and so this is how eric would say it right. but but to say because you know eric said this to me and you don't even say this to somebody it's just because this is my community and I trust this person, this is what I say. Yeah. Yes. I say the same thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, you know, and which is a challenge then as a teacher, I think, to be as married closely as you can to the text. So yeah. you're not, yes, you know, not telling a story for five, you know, thirds or five, you know, sixths of your sermon. And then the one sixth, you're going to talk about the text, which is a surprising thing to hear from you guys in a way, because at the village, you're, you know, from what I've experienced of you far less, um, you, you don't come across as exegetical of the text and you come across as sharing a lot more narrative. And you've talked to me a little bit about the importance of narrative and story and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not critiquing you. I'm just saying sure. it's, it's a tension you hold that I haven't necessarily heard you articulate mm. before. Yeah, well, I would say that. Um, and you may have a different way of expressing being dedicated to the text than some, someone else. One else, yeah. Well, I would say if you went back and listened to five years of sermons from me, what, right? Your conclusion would be that I'm overly exegetical and not very story oriented. Oh, okay. Um, and you, listening to Rod, you would probably be a little in the other direction, the okay. more narrative oriented. I tend to tell stories to like illustrate an idea. Like, so if we're talking about humility and I'm speaking about the, the Greek word and how it's used, I might take a picture that Aristotle uses to explain that. Yeah. Or I might tell a story from my own life that that kind of played yeah. itself out, but I'm not one to tell big stories. Now, I, and I say this from to be to be clear, having listened yeah. to like oh, it doesn't matter three either. or four sermons of each of you, probably yeah yeah yeah, that's yeah. fine. I I uh, I have I also tend to play around with different particular styles. So I would say last year I was definitely much more story oriented. Yeah, and this year much more exegetical. Okay, like last sermon I had no stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it just depends on where I'm at and how I feel. Yeah. I'll tell you that when I speak in the Old Testament, I tend to be more story oriented. <laughs> and in the New Testament, more, you know, just straight verse by verse exeg yeah. exegesis. Or my hermeneutic is different anyway in the two. Well, those are some big Christian words. Yeah, what people can go look them up. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to explain them. Anyway, regardless of that, I, that's that's neither here nor there. The thing that I think is important is how does that create a culture? Mm. I think the reason I think my sermon matters is more and more I find myself repeating myself to people. Yeah. Saying, well, mm. this is what it means, what I, what I said on Sunday. This is how that applies to yeah. your life right now. And I think people, like, we're so used to hearing um, so many voices that our our pastors become one of the voices. Yes, and I'm actually arguing for me and for you to be not the ultimate voice, like God's voice, but to be the voice that is challenging all the other voices, not one of the voices. Hmm. Um, and I would say that pastorally, like so, not just you in your church, but Nick. And yeah. others who are speaking uh, from authority. I, mean, I think I would come from like like generally saying the the vocal leaders of the church, whoever they are, yes, you know, should be shaping that, and and that means there needs to be a sense of some unity and listening to one another as you do that, as you as you move toward that. And yeah. I think if you're doing community deeply and studying God's word together, that kind of will happen. And as that doesn't happen as much, you will lose some of that, which I think we experience that as well. Right. Yeah. So one of the ways churches have gone to solve this problem is that they create community groups that then study the sermon. 
and yeah, everything's how built do, around how the sun. How do you think of, I mean, we've that we've discussed that and I've sort of um I've sort of said I wanted our community groups to do have a different discussion than the sermon because I think there's a lot more that that can be discussed. I mean, you know, and I think that there needs to be a space to talk about the things that aren't just part of the sermon series right now. But yeah, I don't know. Right now we're doing these micro churches and some sure. people have kind of decided that doing sermon micro church and small group is too much and they've only done micro church, which is where you talk about the sermon. Yeah. Uh, we did that as a COVID, um, you know, strategy or whatever, but, but I have seen, I've seen some value in it in yes. doing that. So I've kind of been debating that in my mind. Well, I, I see value here. Here's my usual critique, critique, uh, critique of it is that the things that it creates two things. One. It creates an intellectual, usually an intellectual conversation about the sermon. Uh huh. So that's that's one. Like we're we're kind of processing it. Yeah. In the sense of how how did I think he approached this? I, I didn't. What agree do with, I think is important? Right, I yeah. didn't agree with Andy here. I think he, you know, or so. There's that. Um, I think that's one of the things I have a hard time with too. Is that in some ways, and this is where I. I I'm, I wonder if we shouldn't preach a version of the same sermon for a month before you move yeah. on to the next idea. Because I, yeah, we. I am not repetitive enough, there's and, and there's a need for it. So yeah. much information that we're putting out every yeah. week. Yeah, yes, that, that is true. difficult. Um, and and as pastors, this gets into the whole how long pastors study. We are disconnected from the lives of our people because we've thought about it all week long and then we fire hose them with something mm-hmm. generally that they can't possibly work through the way we worked through it because we've spent so much time. And part of being bivocational for me, it's been hard, but one of the gifts of it is that I've had to process kind of like our people do sometimes. Like sometimes I have to be doing two things at once as I'm thinking about my sermon and I'm learning about my sermon interestingly through the other thing I'm doing, mm-hmm. which is how a lot of our folks have to, they have to go to work. They have to sure. do stuff with their families. Right. Yeah. All right. And, and I would say, I mean, I'm on the, the lower end of how much time it takes me to prep a sermon just because I don't have that space. Right. I, even though I don't have another job, like my job doesn't, the way I do it doesn't give me a lot of space. Well, you're, you're highly relational, um, pastor and you, you invest a lot of time in folks. So if you were in an office for 30 hours, you'd violate the very type of pastoring you believe in. Right. Yep. So that makes it a little bit more challenging. I think I do. There is something about like having an opportunity to have a well-crafted sermon. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, not something I always will hardly ever get a chance to do. Um, I, th- I, I sometimes think there are places for that. Oh, I, I, I do think there are. I recently listened to a, r- a pretty, I felt really well done, um, you know, approach to, it was, it was talking about race in America. It was deeply scriptural. It was very well researched. I thought that that issue dealt with in that way there's a place for that sure that that sometimes and the the conversations we've had around those things at our church have been very like let's just let's just have an open conversation and exhibit what that could look like but there is a place for the very well crafted where you say every word as accurately as possible so there's no possibility that somebody could misconstrue you even though it still happens there's a place for it and then i think there's a place for for a more relational approach or a more you know, approach that kind of comes out of the communal life. And they have their moments, their times, their, maybe there's roles, people who speak to say a, a, a large audience and they're not so much just speaking to their community where they can work things out and chat about it later. I mm-hmm. think there's a little more on the line. Oh, I agree. I yeah. agree with you. Um, but I think as a small church pastor who has, you know, 130 140 people in his church um it's hard at times to say what i have to say matters you should listen yeah. to it it should take priority over some of the podcasts you're listening to hmm. you know, yeah it is hard to like say. It, it 
it's hard and i and i have come i'm coming to the place after you know be, you know being a pastor for almost 20 years where i'm like no i actually have a lot of good things to say and you guys need to be wrestling with them because the spirit of god has given them to me not because i'm really smart right um i may have some smarts but i it's not because of those things it's because i, I God put me in this place and I'm trying really hard to offer you what I think he's saying and we need to wrestle with it together and and you need to commit communicate it to the people who haven't heard it and you need to communicate it to your neighbor and you need to communicate it to your kids yeah and I think I said my sermon matters because one of the things I've been thinking about is that in this time of covid I think what God is calling the church too is to look at itself and take things a little bit more seriously than they have been mm. their faith their yeah. relationship with god the community that they're in yep and how they you know are are giving and taking i was kind of struck in preaching that one of the things paul asks people to do is to stop stealing mm. and i thought oh <laughs> I have never taken anything from anyone at the village. Like in the sense, I've never walked in their house and stolen something out of it or taken their car. And yet, I've definitely been guilty of stealing, of going into community and taking without giving. Mm. And, you know, without, you know, and I think that's happened in my life. And I think it happens a lot in mm. the church community is that we're actually guilty of the one thing that we don't think we're guilty of. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting, There, you know, a bunch of articles have come out in the past couple months about why you shouldn't abandon your church now that you've been online for a while. So there's two, there's one, one line of thought is say the church has decided to not open. There are a lot of people that have now gone, well, I'm going to a church that's open. And they'll say, why? Because, you know, I need. I need church. I need the church experience. And then the flip side is people who whose church has done a really great job of online are like, well, why would I go back? I really like, you know, sitting by the fireplace in my PJs and watching church. That's the best. And they're doing such a great job of it. I don't want to go back to that. And and so there's these articles coming out. They're like, no, 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 no. You know, don't abandon your church. Sure. And I think that isn't a new problem. It's just one that's really magnified sure, by this time, sure. but in which people, it's not so much this commitment to their community. I must, you know, where it's like, well, where, however I have to stay connected to you guys, I will, because you all are my, you know, I hear God through this community and I'm, and we are bound by the spirit in this community. There's the sense that now nah, this, this is kind of take it or leave it. I, I picked you because it worked and right. yeah. Right. Well, and I, I think it's modern Christianity, especially in the U S doesn't take Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 very seriously. Right. Which is the whole purpose is that we intentionally when with deep thought spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And the only way that happens is if we're encountering one another. Right. So we're not supposed to forsake the gathering and that's, a big part of where the spirit works is in this intentional care to move one another towards Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's hard when you sit in your living room and hang out with your family. It's not it, that kind of gathering isn't necessarily going to create an intentional moving one another towards God. It will at some level, but it's not going to do that. Right. If whoever you're listening to is not getting you up and moving you out of your home to engage the world, then probably <laughs> you need to find a gathered community. Right. Which is why we didn't do a produced, you know, non-live version of a distance church is because we we're just like we we need to be even even in an awkward way together right. in a moment where we can talk back and forth to each other the best we can. Sure. It was critical. I've thought too of, of folks that just have no, no desire, even whole church communities. I mean, the, the reopening question is an important one, right? Like the pastors who don't want to do it. I, I think there's, there's reasons that you shouldn't do it or do it in a careful way to be careful and take public health seriously. 
But there's another part of me that doesn't understand churches and leaders who just don't are like, nah, we could stay closed for years. It's like, what you should at least have this burning desire to be back together. Yes. At the least have the desire. Yeah. And try to figure out every way possible to keep your people connected to each other and yourself. If you don't, something's off here. Right. right. Yeah. And and I think yeah, I, I totally agree with you and I will I will preface this with I am one hundred percent behind public health. Yep. But I also Same think here. one of the idols of America has become safety over the last 20, 25 years. Totally. Safety yeah. at all costs. And I think safety is important. So don't, but I think it's dangerous when it becomes an idolatrous, when that's mm-hmm. what we worship, when we want to keep ourselves safe all the time right. and in all aspects of our life. So part of preaching the gospel, Jesus is not safe. He invites Jesus you, isn't safe and life was never declared to be safe right. or promised to be safe yeah right that doesn't mean we're going to pack a bunch of people into church and tell them they nope. don't have to wear masks and everyone and breathe. tell them to drive around without their seatbelts right. on or anything yeah yep. so that's not what we're talking about it, it's more subtle and it's something that we have to continue to address um but it is i think but it plays on this covid thing right it, because we want to be safe yep and i, I think that's i think even in the messaging to our country, we've messaged safety instead of slow infection in order to be able to handle this because we all have to get COVID or most of us do before there's a vaccine or whatever. Right. We need immunity to this. We're not going to get it by isolated completely in our homes, never right. talking to anybody. We have to learn how to move out into the world understanding what's happening. Yes. Not not to just, yeah, hide from it. For There's just no way. Right. It doesn't. It's not, it's, it can't, right. and it's already not happening. But right. it, And hopefully that those people who are growing up right now and are experiencing this and young will say things like, we need to build better infrastructures yeah. so that we can handle things like this and not have this like, oh, yeah. we all got to go run away, but that we can, we can deal with the oncoming pandemics. Probably the code um, that applies to air handling systems should be forever changed, right? Right. By this. And uh, probably... I was, I was telling somebody, when I walk in and I see restaurant workers in masks back making my food, I'm like, this could stay forever in my mind. Yes. Like, I don't, I've never loved the thought of, like, whoever's, did they wash their hands? And so it's like, these protocols, gloves, stuff for, for people who are making our food, this is a good thing to just adopt. Right. Right? And um, so, yeah. It's. There's, there's this balance of you, yeah, we can learn from this, but also still move back into community and right. the world. Yeah. Though I definitely tell you, I, I spoke, no, we have two services, and I spoke both services with a mask on. Yeah. I've done it a couple times now. Man, by the end of the second service, I have these massive headaches. Really? And in the second uh-huh. service, you can hear me breathing versus this, the first service, because it's just like so laborious to have this mask on, and you're kind of having to speak louder and oh, yeah. and you just and your your breathing is inhibited and yeah we're is, we're if you you're singing or preaching mask off or well, we've only done two weeks we had people take their masks off while seated the first week and then we were like that's too confusing bad idea so now it's you know everybody who attends wears one the whole time but then when you get up to preach or read you could take it off for that yeah, yeah and our stuff. singers have not worn masks because it's just too hard yeah the preachers because they're in we just felt like it's a good example and so we'll yeah we can do it so we'll do it and i've felt that way about in like last week like wearing mine when i'm not preaching that's right yeah so yeah that's now you guys this this is your second time back we did we have that was our second time Um, yeah and how many people do you guys have in your building so we're uh the door is open to 30 okay um yeah is that 30 including volunteers and everything? Mm-hmm. Yep. So open to about 25 plus yeah. plus staff and volunteers. Yeah. Yep. It's about where we're at. Yep. Except we were, yeah, I guess 30 is kind of what we've said, 30. Yeah. Seems like a healthy number. Yeah. Yeah, we, we talked about our space could probably handle another 10, but for now we're going to stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this COVID, like having the two services has helped with COVID. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, because I think one Sunday we actually, I think it was 15 in the evening and 25 in the morning. And so that allowed us to have more than yeah. we would normally had and still been safe. Yeah. So. And we've got, people are zooming in and we've got a screen with their faces and that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's nice. It's, a t- it's, <laughs> it was funny cause I was watching an NBA finals game and they had everybody like, you know, they've got the seats yeah. with people in them. And I thought, huh, that's sort of the same idea. And you look how, look how tech savvy we are. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's, it's not the same cause I, I even went in front of the screen and waved and I realized, Oh, the camera for this TV isn't even here. They can't even see me. You know, there's this weird little moment where you're like, oh, I want to interact with you, but it's not, not going to happen the same. And But but at least we are aware of their presence and they can see us. And I think that's important to me that we can. Yeah. Well, we have a Zoom. We have, you know, we have Zoom conversations afterwards. And we, we have those too. Yeah. And <laughs> we, uh, we completely spaced. Oh, the no. morning Zoom conversation. Oh, <laughs> it was no. just like for the first time because there's 25 people in the service and, and it you just felt kind of back to normal. Back to, you know, you just yep. got stuff to do. Oh, right. So that is, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, gee. But yeah. Yep. It's interesting. Well, I don't know if we really got anywhere on that, sir. Your sermon matters. But I think we did. You think I, so? I loved, yeah. No, I think the things you're saying, I think if we'd said much more, maybe that would have been too much because the things you're saying challenge our our typical viewpoint my own as well so i think that's good cool well thanks for uh joining us and if you have an idea of something you'd like us to talk about you can email us at faithoverbreakfast at gmail.com we are indeed logged into that account and we will respond to you and we're we're excited um about some of the emails we've gotten and we're we're excited about some things that are coming up oh yeah yeah very excited to about things like First for faith on the uh, faith on the breakfast. Faith on the breakfast. <laughs> yeah, well, faith <laughs> on the Barbie, faith on the breakfast. Yeah, um, yeah. So emails. Um, you know, Eric put out there before. If anybody wants to come and cook food, we're we're open to that. Yeah. You know, during you know before during the podcast. And so if you find yourself, you're like, I'm just, I need a socially distanced way to make food for other people. I mean, hey, the door's open. We're not going to stop you. Got to bring your own food. Though. <laughs> the refrigerator's empty. Oh, shoot. <laughs> okay. Bring some eggs. Bring some. Yeah. But uh, no, really, though. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you all listening, taking your time with us, and uh, see you next episode.